Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We are lucky to have Steve Hayes, who is at the second debate. He's in St. Louis waiting for his private jet to uh, coast down the runway and fly back to his palatial abode. Uh, So, Steve Hayes, what did we miss last night by not being there? What did you miss by not being there? Was there tension? Uh, Was there? Gosh. Were you at the gathering of the uh, Clinton uh, lady friends with Donald Trump before the event, for example? Uh, I was not. Nobody had a heads up on that, um, including the RNC did not know that that uh, event was taking place with the uh, Clinton accusers uh, and the press conference. Um, what did you miss? I accidentally wandered backstage uh, in the spin room last night because I took a wrong turn and ended up on the spinner side rather than the journalist side no, you didn't. of spin alley, <laughs> uh, which was, which was, uh, yeah, which was interesting, interesting experience. I will tell you uh, watching it with a room full of our colleagues, Trump won the night. The CNN polling doesn't show that. I th- think that's kind of the consensus opinion of the pundits. Do you agree? And in, in what, what are the things that play into that victory? I mean, every, you know, everything depends on how you describe, quote, one, unquote. If, if that means he, in the short term, stopped the parade of defections, I think that's probably right. He probably did do that much. But if winning means uh, putting together a sustained case for why he should be president of the United States and reaching beyond his immediate base, so that he can make that happen, then I think no, he failed. He didn't. He didn't do that. And you know, if you, he had, he, there's no question he had some good moments. I mean, his Abraham Lincoln quip was was pretty fantastic. Right. He had a couple of other good uh, responses to to what she was saying. Um, but if you go back and read the transcript and look at the the arguments he was making on policy, it it is gibberish. And to call it gibberish is being generous. It was actually authentic frontier gibberish from uh, Blazing Saddles. It was so gibberish. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's a cracker croaker, so what are you going to do about that? Um, what was interesting to me is how hungry Trump supporters across America, forget the politicians, just know people, were for a victory. Do you get that sense that people wanted to see something from Trump and Trump fed them the, 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 the quips and the attacks and that they wanted, they were thrilled to have someone actually say to her, look what you did with your yeah. husband and these women. And that just for the talk radio base, it was like manna from heaven. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Republicans to a certain extent have been waiting for that kind of pugilistic approach for years. I mean, you know, myself included, not necessarily on the, on the, the, the Clinton scandals, but I mean, I think it's, it's, long past time that Republicans had somebody who was willing to sort of stand up and confront Democrats. I would prefer that that, that confrontation take place over policy rather than um, than on what I consider at this point to be side issues from a, a bygone decade. But, yeah, I think people – there's there's sort of a sense that it feels good for some conservatives to have done that. I don't know that it solves anything or advances an argument, but I think a lot of people thought that it – felt good to do that it's like punching a wall uh you know when you're when your football team is losing you, you punch the wall you might feel better temporarily but you also are, are end up with a, a hand that hurts i've yet to hear anyone make a compelling case for the idea that donald trump as you pointed out moved the ball down the field if i can now jump away from 
uh, home destruction metaphors to sports metaphors. He didn't, <laughs> but he did, you know, fall on the ball. In other words, they were moving the other way. So they're, you know, Hillary's not gaining, didn't gain any ground uh, right. that night. Would you agree with that? But here's my question. So where does the GOP go now? I, I, I know you're out traveling, so I don't know how much of the reporting you've seen, but uh, there was a conference call with Paul Ryan at the head who essentially told Republicans, it's every man for himself. If you're in a Trump district, God love you. If you're in a swing district, run away as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's Paul Ryan trying to, to split the baby, as it were. I mean, he, he's got members who want to stick by Trump and are enthusiastic about Trump. He's got members who want him to disown Trump and begin the recovery process right now. Uh, and, and I think he's trying to do both. But, you know, he personally finds it distasteful to have to defend Donald Trump. And I think he's sick of doing it. He said on this phone call that he wasn't willing to do it anymore. And uh, I think it's right for him to say that. So our colleague, Jonathan V. Lass, wrote a great piece in the Weekly Standard. We did a podcast about it last week. Check it out at weeklystandard.com on the podcast page. The difference between strategy and tactics. When I see with Trump in the post uh, sex tape moment, and just think about that for a second, Steve Hayes, this conversation, (laughs) Trump sex tape. But um, is this is all tactics. He had to survive Sunday right. so he could survive Monday, et cetera. I don't see a strategy for going forward. In fact, it seems to me self-evident that there's going to be another tape or a woman's going to come forward or there's going to be something regarding race that's going to come out of his past or something. He's going to be you know, kind of bouncing around tactic to tactic to tactic. Are you getting any word from these Republicans on the fence that they believe he has a strategy to win? No, I mean, I don't think I don't think he does. Uh, it, there's no sense that he's going to, to turn this and somehow play offense. I mean, I think he thinks he's playing offense. But the better analogy is, is a, a hockey goalie whose team is is being besieged by the other team. And the goalie is just scrambling to, to sort of fight off every shot. Right. I mean, Trump, in effect, opened the door to these kinds of, of uh, further investigations last night when he said categorically that he hadn't done what he had boasted about having done in the tape. And we already know from a New York Times article in May and then from Aaron Burnett on CNN on uh, Friday night that there are women who have accused Trump, if anonymously, of doing these things, of forcibly kissing them, what have you. I suspect that reporters are right now, as we speak, uh, making phone calls to sources and, and running down leads about what might what other things might have happened. And will those uh, people who have already spoken out anonymously speak out in public, uh, you know, in their own identity. So I think that's that's a real challenge for them. And are Trump people saying that the worst has passed? And do you believe that? Because I firmly believe that there'll be other things possibly worse than this or at least as bad, definitely, uh, you know, breaking in the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, you certainly there have been there have been plenty of rumors uh, circulating that there is something worse coming um, and that it does involve race. Uh, There was one producer who's worked with uh, the producer, the executive producer of uh, The Apprentice, who said that um, there's potentially Donald Trump using the N-word on tape. Um, you can imagine that if, if he spoke this way on a hot mic one time, it probably wasn't the only time. So I think you have, you know, maybe not the Trump campaign, but but other Republicans that's figuring very prominently in their um, decision making process right now as they try to see what it's going to do. 
One last question for you. And I know once again, thanks for joining us at the airport as you uh, fly back uh, uh, to D.C. from St. Yeah, Louis, which is what it's got to be so depressing to be someone like you who's been covering the Clinton scandals for years, covering Hillary Clinton's awful job she did as secretary of state, covering the repeated lies and borderline criminal behavior regarding the emails. And they had the documents that have appeared in the last you know three days that could really, really remind voters just how awful she is. And you can't get anyone to talk about it because it's being swamped by this Trump news. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really sort of amazing. I mean, if you just think about what she said last night, where she said she said uh, that she had not gotten rid of her emails after the congressional subpoena. Well, that's precisely what she did. And she stood on the stage and just denied it. And I think in the absence of this videotape, you probably have uh, a full focus on that because it's what she did. But I think now you're, you're not likely to get that, uh, to be sure. But the, the bigger to me, the, the, the bigger tragedy I mean, beyond just not her not being held accountable for what she said and what she's done over the past uh, couple of years, over the past um, couple of decades is, you know, I worry that we're going to have a moment at some point in the next couple of years in the aftermath of a major crisis, whether it's, uh, you know, an economic collapse or a cyber attack on our infrastructure or, uh, you know, a physical terrorist attack on a city where we're going to look back on that debate last night and how tawdry it was and how small it was and how disgraceful it was and, and then think, what were we collectively doing as a country? You know, you have you have uh, economic stagnation. You have twenty trillion dollars in debt. You have Iranian aggression. You have Russian expansionism. You have North Korean nukes. And our presidential candidates, the two people who would lead the country in the free world, spent their time on stage uh, tossing childhood insults at one another about past sexual assaults or sexual indiscretion. It's just sort of, if you, if you can just stop and distance yourself from from the, the back and forth in the moment here, it's, it's such a, a sad moment. Yeah, I, country, I remind really. people I remind people all the time that the big news story in America the couple of weeks before 9-11 was shark attacks. And we were exactly obsessed with right. shark attacks because we thought the world was so peaceful. And think about that. We'd already had the USS Cole hit. We'd already had Cobar Towers. We already had the two attacks on embassies. We'd had the World Trade Center attacked on, when Bill Clinton first became president in 1993. And despite Al-Qaeda uh, uh, Al doing everything they could to tell us, we are coming to kill you, the lead yeah. story, the obsession was, is there a shark that's going to get me? So. Exactly right. Uh, exactly Steve Hayes, right. thanks so much for joining us. Uh, be sure to take full advantage of the cocktail service, as you always do when you get on the plane. And uh, we will talk to you soon. <laughs> I need one. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Or better still, subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.com, and you'll never miss another one. Just go to iTunes.com and search for podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham.